probably many of you, if you grew up in church, uh, you knew Psalm 23 very clearly and very quickly. You could probably quote it, right? And so we understand that the Lord was a shepherd to Israel in the Old Testament. But he pointed in the Gospels to other sheep that he has that aren't a part of this fold, right? Sheep that are sitting in this very room right now, right? <laughs> that we're going to be brought in to be part of what he's doing. And so now we can truthfully call the Lord our shepherd as well, right? And so us as sheep, what does it mean to be ones that are in need of a shepherd? You're ones that are in need of protection, right? You're ones that are in need of someone to feed you and to keep you fed. You're ones that are prone to wonder. What does it say in that song? Uh, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. That's not just words, right? As believers, we have a, a, uh, a, a desire to go after our sin natures. A desire to be led astray by Satan and the world system. And as we do this, we are wanderers, ones that need to be corralled by a shepherd. And so we have uh, that great shepherd, the Lord, that is able to do this on our behalf. We left off last month as we were looking at it uh, on these, these terms dealing with uh, what the Lord gives to us as sheep. And so we looked at the fact that we are nourished. We looked at the fact that we are furnished. And we looked at the fact that we are fed and given to drink. And I want to pick up from there uh, and continue on with this uh, idea here that the Lord is our shepherd. Uh, and there is nothing else as believers that we need than a relationship to the great shepherd of our souls. And we're going to look at that verse that, that says that we looked at earlier in First uh, Peter chapter 2 and verse 25 where it said, we've returned again to the, the great shepherd of our souls. What does that mean? A lot of times we just read verses and we don't look deeply into what is this verse trying to say. It says to me that our souls are very vulnerable, right? The seat of our emotions, the place where our emotions can be caused to go crazy. They're vulnerable, and we have enemies that are looking to attack us. And they're not looking to attack you on the basis of logic and reason, right? Satan doesn't appeal to you and say, oh, go out and leave and do this thing that is not right, right? Because this is the right thing to do. No, he appeals to you on some spot of your soul where this thing you desire to do it, right? You wanted to kill somebody in, in the heat of the moment. I'm giving a very, <laughs> very uh, uh, crazy example here. But uh, think of these serial killers. Is it logical for you to go out and, and just kill people over and over again? It's not logical, is it? But I was watching this documentary on Jeffrey Dahmer and all of these things that he did. It, didn't, it wasn't reasonable to him that he did it. And when he sat down and thought about what he had done... He thought, man, what is wrong with me, <laughs> right? But there was something in his flesh that desired to do these despicable things that he did. And he couldn't control himself. It's not by reason that we do any sin that we do. It's by your soul, 
right? Your emotions get into it, and you end up doing these things that are totally against what you know to be right and true. And so as you're looking at Satan, as you're looking at the world system, as you're looking at your own sinful nature, it's from those places they make an appeal against your soul. And so uh, what does the Lord do? He's the shepherd of our souls. He's given us a, a, a place where we can overcome these appeals to our, uh, or from our spiritual enemies. And so we'll look at that uh, again today. Father, we're grateful uh, for the day that you've given us, grateful for uh, the security that you've given us in Christ, grateful that uh, he does uh, have a desire uh, to lead us and, and uh, has provided us a position uh, that makes it possible for us to be led. Uh, it's up to us whether we're going to choose uh, to be led by him or if we're going to choose to allow our spiritual enemies to uh, lead us astray. And so we uh, are, are grateful again that we do have the opportunity to serve you uh, and that you've given us all provision to make that uh, possible. Uh, for it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. All right, and so uh, your notes uh, are the same from last month, and I tried to get you more printed off here. Uh, Lynn warned me that I needed to come up to the church and, and get my computer connected, and I thought, boy, I could just do that in, in about 30 minutes here before uh, church started, so I apologize, Lynn. I should have listened to you. Uh, <laughs> it wasn't uh, as easy as I thought it was. But looking at the relationship between the Lord and the believers, we see the body of believers are, as we stated, sheep. We are ones that are vulnerable to outside attack. We are ones that don't have the ability to spiritually feed ourselves. And we are ones that are prone to wonder. Uh, but that first idea of being in need of nourishment or feeding, uh, and we see a couple places in Scripture where it shows that we are in need of nourishment. Uh, go with me over to 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 6. And we see the potential uh, of being spiritually nourished um, in the face of false teaching in the last days of the dispensation. 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 6. And so in, in verse 1, it says, Now the Spirit uh, speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, uh, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Now, a lot of people say this, the faith, is related specifically to how to overcome your spiritual enemies, right? And uh, we, we talked about um, in our, our course material in, in the Bible Institute last uh, time that the faith is bigger than just overcoming your spiritual enemies. And I think it has more to do with how you're living out this Christian life and utilizing the provisions that have been put in place for you in order to be victorious in your Christian life. And so that would include overcoming your spiritual enemies, but it's not specific to it. Uh, and so what does he say here in verse 2? Speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats, which God hath created to be received after thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. 
And so what are people doing here? It's like Brother Don was talking about earlier in, in uh, Sunday school, this idea that you want people to live by law, right? And that there's some other standard than what Christ has established to be able to overcome in your presence and salvation. Verse 4, for every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused if it be received after thanksgiving. For it is sanctified by the word of God and by prayer. This really here, this word for intercession. And so when you're praying for your food, why are you doing this? You're interceding between that food and God and hoping that God will purify it so that you can consume it. And it's good, right? There's nothing else that needs to be done. In verse six, if thou put in remembrance, uh, if, if thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shall be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in, by the words of faith and of good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained. You see there, uh, this doctrine concerning the faith causes you to be nourished. And causes you to have what you need to operate in your Christian life. Now, as you think about food and nourishment that you're eating on a regular basis, what is the point of you eating? Some would say taste, right? <laughs> I eat because this food is good, right? And I'm going to eat good food. Now, I don't see anyone that will want to eat nasty food, right? Everyone wants food to be good. But ultimately, the point of food is to nourish you. So that your body, <laughs> Brother Scott, I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry to break it to you. <laughs> it's to nourish your body to perform the things that your body needs to do, right? You have functions that you have to accomplish in this life. If you work, you need food to fuel your body to do the work that you need to do. Now, some of us need more fuel than others, right? I work from home, <laughs> and so I probably don't need as much fuel because uh, fuel, I'm sitting on my butt most of the day. But there are some people that actually go out and do physical labor, and they need a lot more fuel than the average person does. But as he's looking at this and comparing it to the word of God and how that's able to fuel you to do what you need to do spiritually, you need this nourishment, and it only comes from God, right? And he states, states it there very clearly. The word of God is able to nourish you in this manner. We also see it over in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 29. And he compares it uh, to what the individual does for his own body and how he should be doing it for his wife to what the uh, Lord is doing for the church. And so a, a great comparison here. Pick it up in verse 27 when you get there. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 27. In fact, go back to verse 25 where he says, Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself on behalf of it that he may sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. Uh, verse 27, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Now, if you go back into the Old Testament and looking at these sacrifices that were given on behalf of Israel, uh, what did those sacrifices need to be? <laughs> 
They needed to be holy, without blemish, without spot. Now, the problem was a lot of times Israel was bringing in these uh, one-eyed <laughs> sheep and all of these things that they're not supposed to bring and sacrificing them to God. But it was supposed to be perfect and without spot and without blemish. Interesting that that's tied in here. In verse 28, it says, So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hateth his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, cherishes, cherishes it, <laughs> even as the Lord, the church. For we are members of his body uh, and of his flesh and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his own wife and they too shall be one flesh. And so here you see in this mystery that's provided, and it states that it's a mystery in the next verse, uh, that uh, Christ is acting on behalf of the church in the same way that the husband is supposed to be acting on behalf of, the, uh, of his wife. And what does he do? He provides nourishment to the wife. He gives her what she needs uh, in order to eat like he would his own flesh, right? Like he would his own flesh. And so you see that here. Uh, the next one is, is this idea of being furnished. And so we see uh, that furnished has this idea of being uh, fit for use or, or given exactly what something is needed uh, for use or uh, to provide uh, really here at one's own expense that's, that's needed for that. And so um, uh, if you went out uh, and went and bought something that you needed, right, you go to the store, I'm going to buy a nice new uh, uh, couch, and you did it on your own, then you did it, right? <laughs> but if someone else did that for you and gave you the money to buy it, then they furnished that bed for you. Or this is the idea that's at play there. Uh, we see this used over in uh, Colossians, and this is actually translated a couple times, nourishment, and that's why I picked it up. But uh, we see it over in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 19 of the body of believers that are nourished uh, by the head and really hear this idea here of being provided or furnished with everything needed. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 19. Now remember in chapter 1 he talked about, and just go there on your way over, he talked about uh, Christ being the head of the body and how uh, important the connectedness is there, Right? And the problem is that these Colossian saints are having is that they're putting other things up and elevating other things, namely angels. And he's saying, hey, wait, wait, wait one minute. Right. Christ is the head of the body and he's for where all of the power for the body is supplied from. Pick it up in, in verse uh, 17 of chapter one. He says, and he is before all things. And by him, all things consist. This idea of consist is the idea of are held together, right? He's the one that's holding everything together. Verse 18, and he is the head of the body, uh, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn of the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased him, or it pleased the father that in him should dwell, or should all of the fullness dwell. And so, again, he's setting this precedence that is Christ that is before all things. And we talked about it here uh, many times as it relates to the body of Christ. He's the brain, right? He's the head of the body. He's where all of the, the need of the rest of the body is flowing out from, right? And we're the parts, the individual parts of that body. But if we're not connected to the head, we can't operate. 
And so that's what he's saying here as well. Now you can skip over to uh, Act, or Colossians chapter 2 and verse 19. Pick it up at uh, verse 9. He says, For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and he, we are, you are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. You see here where he's having to explain principality, power, sound familiar, angels, right? And they're, they're elevating these angels and he's having to tell them, look, he's the head over angels, right? And you're connected to him. And so why are you, why are you doing this worshiping of angels? In verse 11, it says, in whom also you are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands and the putting off of the body of sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, co-buried with him by baptism, wherein also you are co-risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him up out from the dead ones. Why is he expressing here these facts that we see over in uh, the book of Romans as well? That you're co-raised, co-buried, that this happened through spirit baptism. Because he's showing them that you're worshiping these angels that are below the head who is Christ, and you're connected to the head that is Christ doesn't make a lot of logical sense, does it? Why would you be worshiping something that's beneath the one that you're connected to? Verse 13, and you being dead in your sins and your, the uncircumcision of, of your flesh, have he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, <laughs> blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that, w- uh, that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Let no man therefore judge you in meat, or in drink, or in respect of holy day, or of, uh, of new moon, or of Sabbath days, which are a shadow of the things to come. But the body is of Christ. Let uh, no man beguile you your reward in voluntary hum- humility and in worshiping of angels, intruding into those things which he hath not seen, vainly pl- puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding the head, from which all the body, by joints and bands, having nourishment, and there's our word, they're being supplied that which they need for service, right? They're being furnished. He's given you everything that you need in order to do the task that he's asking you to do. Ministered and knit together, increased with the increase of God. And so as long as you're connected to the head, he's going to cause it to increase. Right. You can go back over to first Corinthians. What were they doing over there? They were saying, I'm of this guy. I'm of that guy. And what did Paul say? You're all of Christ. Right. I've been given this task with, with, from Christ, but it's God the one that's causing you to grow. And so uh, you see that again kind of reflected here in verse 20. He says, wherefore, if you uh, be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why as though living in the world are you subject to ordinances? doesn't make a lot of logical sense. And we talked about it there in our introduction, the fact that the enemies don't appeal to logic They don't appeal to reason. They appeal to what feels good, right? 
And if you're doing these things that you might do, if we get caught up in our sin nature, if we get led astray by Satan or the world, it doesn't make logical sense what we're doing. If we sat down and really thought about it and lined it up with the word of God, it would be an easy decision. But a lot of times happens too fast, right? (laughs) You can look at the uh, process of sin over there in the book of James, and it looks like a, a drawn out process, right? You see all of these steps. We make these process maps that work to describe uh, these individual processes that people do within the business. And it looks like it's boom, 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 like a a 20-step process, right? But you're doing all of those things like that. It's very quick. And that's how it happens with sin, right? We don't think about the fact that there was a lust that drew us away and (laughs) enticed us, right? And then uh, we thought about it and said, hmm. Yeah, that, that might be a nice thing to do. No, it just all happened in one, one quick action, and it's over. <laughs> now you have to think about what you've done, uh, and that's how, how sin occurs. We also see this word for furnace used over in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 10, and it's used here of the ability to utilize uh, the giving. Whoa. <laughs> Hate hearing my voice. <laughs> To meet, uh, uh, to meet the necessity of others. And so 2 Corinthians chapter 9. We know Brother Don is listening right there. <laughs> I was listening. <laughs> uh, and this is in our, uh, of course, our offertory verses we uh, keep coming across. Pick it up in uh, verse 7. He says, Every man according as he has purpose in his heart, so let him give. Not grudgingly or out of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. As it is written, he has dispersed abroad, he hath given to the poor, his righteousness remains forever. Now, he that ministereth seed to the sower, or both uh, seed to the sower, both minister bread, for your food and multiply your seed and increase the fruits of your uh, righteousness. And so here you see uh, this word here, I believe the one for ministering is, is our word for furnish, furnishing. He's the one that provides it, right? He's not asking you to do something and do it on your own. He's the one that's ultimately supplying it. Even as you're giving, and this is why this keeps being emphasized in this church, that your giving should be in line with you being led by the Spirit. Because if it's not, it's not something supplied by him, it's something that's supplied by you, right? And you want to be in line with him and what he desires from you. And so we see this here. Uh, The idea here also of being fed, we see in other parts of Scripture, uh, of the believer being in need uh, of being fed. And so going back over to Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 12. Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 12. And as you think of these Hebrew saints, one of their biggest issues here were that they couldn't be fed with uh, what Paul does or the author of Hebrews desired for them to be fed with. Right. He wanted to give them more. He wanted to give them way more than what he was giving them, but he couldn't. And we're going to look at this idea here a little bit later here that the Lord, as being the chief shepherd, uses ones under him to supply 
the believers with what they need. But we'll we'll just uh, quickly look at this one. And so uh, in verse 11 of chapter five, he's speaking of Melchizedek. And again, he wants to expand and give them more, but he can't because of their spiritual condition. And he says, of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing you are dull of hearing. And this word for uh, or this term for dull of hearing uh, here just has the idea of just that. Right. They're they're not able to receive that which they ought. Right. Now, some of us hear better than others. Some of us have selective hearing, (laughs) but some of us truly have impediments to being able to hear. Right. And they have some impediments here. Right. It's their sinful nature that's causing them not to hear and receive what he's telling them. So he has to give them milk. (laughs) He can't give them meat. In verse 12, it says, for when at the time you ought to be teachers, you need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God. In other words, there's very simple things that every believer should know and should be able to teach other people. I would say among those, probably the gospel, right? Any believer should be able to go to 1 Corinthians 15 and say, hey, here's what you need to believe to be saved. And here's how that gospel relates to your salvation right now, how you're living. They should be able to do that. These are not difficult, weighty principles for you to be able to teach. But these are things that they're being hung up on because of their spiritual condition and have are become such as have need of uh, milk. And not of strong meat. For everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongs to them that are of full age, even who by the reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. And so you see here, there was a need that these believers had to be fed spiritually, right? They can't feed themselves, and yet because of their spiritual condition, He has to water down the message and give them something that's a little bit lighter than what he might have uh, because they are um, in this spiritual condition they're in. Now, over in uh, first Peter, chapter two and verse two, we alluded to uh, later in this chapter and we'll end up getting there. uh, But that great shepherd of the sheep. But before he states that he talks about here. this analogy of spiritual milk uh, being used. And he uses it in a bit of a different way than the author of Hebrews does. But in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 2, he says, Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word of God that you may grow thereby. So he's telling them this desire is in the imperative, right? You desire the milk. So it's not in the same way that he's using it over in Hebrews because he's telling them milk is a bad thing. But he's saying in this context, using a comparative to how babies desire milk, right? Babies can't grow if they're not given milk. They need that nourishment. And so here he's telling them to desire it, uh, that you may grow thereby. If so be... You have tasted that the Lord is gracious to whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. And so he goes on there to explain uh, more uh, about the condition that we were uh, brought into. 
Uh, over in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 2, we see this idea of being given to drink. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 2. And so as you're thinking about sheep, right, that need to be fed, that need to be nourished, one of the other aspects of that is given to drink. Now, if we were to go back into the Old Testament, one of the things that the shepherds would do with sheep is to lead them to water, right? Not just lead them to where there was grass. They needed to drink as well. And so uh, we are being led to water. Lots of, lots of comparison uh, here. Uh, pick it up in verse 1. He says, And I, brethren, uh, could not speak as uh, unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, uh, even as unto babes. I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto are you not able to bear it, neither are you now able. Uh, and this word for fed here in verse 2, I have fed you with milk. I have gave you to drink, right? Milk <laughs> and not meat. And so it's very similar to what's said over in Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 11, right? They he couldn't give them what he desired to give them because in their current spiritual state, they weren't at a place where they could receive it. Uh, and so, again, uh, the Lord is a shepherd utilizing uh, an individual uh, to lead to food. Now, we are in need of spiritual protection from our spiritual enemies. Uh, and again, uh, go, go back over to First Peter chapter 2 and verse 25. And we're going to expound on this a little bit in a minute, but to just hit on it here and to uh, compare this to the things and ministries that uh, the Lord does on our behalf, uh, protection is provided. And he says there, for you were as sheep gone astray. Now, this uh, idea of gone astray here comes from our Greek word planao, and you hear the English word planet right through it. And so as you look at in the sky and see those uh, planets up there, you know, I don't know if some of you might be star watchers and you can tell which ones are actually planets. I actually downloaded an app because the other night I looked and there was one star up there that looked to be much brighter than the rest of them. And I said, it's got to be a planet. And so I, I got that star watching app and looked up there. I don't know how accurate it is, but it said that that was actually a planet. So I was right. Um, but you look at I think it was Neptune. <laughs> I can't remember. Lynn. I'm going to come to you next. <laughs> yeah, it was definitely brighter. It was way brighter. Uh, but you could see it. And so uh, the, the word comes from this idea is that if people looked up at the sky and saw these different planets up here, they appeared to be wandering in the sky. And that's what this word has the idea of. Causing to wonder. It's often translated deceive, right? And what do people do when they deceive you? You have one thing that you're holding to here, and they cause you to go somewhere else and to wander away from what you know to be true. And this is what Satan does to us often. So he says here, for you were as sheep being caused to wonder. This is what we were. But are, are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. You see that word for shepherd, the one that is feeding and protecting you, the one that is nourishing you and providing everything you need. And then further than that, this word for bishop, the word that Miss J likes to antagonizingly use of our pastor, right? It's the overseer. 
the one that has been charged to look over you and to watch over you. We need protection, right? We need protection initially at salvation because we couldn't do it ourselves. We needed someone to bring us into it. And then as you get into your salvation, we have this little impediment, right, called the sin nature, which makes us want to wander, which causes us to go astray. We have this enemy called Satan who deceives you and makes things to look as though they're good, right, when they're really not. We have this enemy called the world system in which has all kinds of things distracting our attention from what we know to be true, right? And so these things are all competing uh, and really uh, where it's able to really make its, its gain into us is our souls. Now, uh, I know a lot of people like to use this term, uh, we're out to save souls, right? We're out to save souls and our souls were indeed saved. We wouldn't have a problem, right? We wouldn't be sinning. There wouldn't be any chance of us sinning because we know our spirits are saved, right? It would be just that we live perfect lives, but guess what would still happen? You'd still die because your body is not safe. So there's three parts of, uh, of the man that people aren't looking at, but this idea of, of souls being saved, your soul is not saved. You're saved in the realm of your spirit. And by, as we live in our position in Christ, we can live lives that are uh, glorifying and well-pleasing to God. But that attack is made uh, to your, your, uh, your soul. And so the bishop and the keeper of our souls is, is very important there. Now, we're going to look a little bit later uh, at, at this idea of what it means to our souls in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 39, that we have a, a saving of the souls is translated there. But we're going to see that it's, and we've talked about it before, a possession of your souls, right? We're not ones that have to be run by our emotions, we're not ones that have to allow our enemies to overcome us because our, our souls are in a place where we can possess them. And we'll see that here in just a bit. Now, the Lord is able to protect the believer uh, in, in many ways described in Scripture. Uh, over in Jude chapter 1 and verse 24, and this is one that we like to close out with often, right? Because it shows... Uh, as you're closing out and as you're going into your week, the reason I use this verse often is because it, it gives you the mind to understand that you are protected by the Lord, right? This is not something in which we're upon ourselves to, to guard ourselves. We're not sheep that are wandering around and out in the field and there's wolves all around waiting to ravage us and we've got to protect ourselves. No, if we'll lie, rely on the protection of the shepherd. The one that's there uh, to protect us, we do have protection. And so we see it here. Keep it in verse uh, or pick it up in verse 20. He says, but you, beloved, building yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And so there's an obligation that you have. Right. God is not going to override your desires and your will. If you will put yourself where you're supposed to be, then he will allow for the protection that should be given. In verse 22, it says, and some have compassion, making a difference and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garments spotted by the flesh. Not now unto him that is able 
See that word for able? Has the power and the ability to keep you. His word for keep you is to guard and protect from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. You see how it's not our responsibility to keep ourselves saved, right? There's a lot of people out there that think you have to do this. You have to do that. No, you just have to get yourself out of the way and place yourself into the hands of the one that provides the protection, right? This is what he's saying here in verse 25. To the only wise God, our Savior, is glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. Now, if it were you that were guarding and protecting yourself, then you could say now unto me who am able to keep myself saved because I'm so good at upholding all of the laws that I've set up for myself. You would be able to give yourself glory. Right. But he's saying here is unto him, not unto you. Uh, And you don't have the ability uh, to do it yourself. In 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 13, we see that the Lord is able to sustain the believer over the course of their salvation. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 13. Pick, pick it up in verse 8. And uh, Paul says here, remember uh, that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from uh, the dead ones or out from among dead ones. According to my gospel, wherein I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even unto bonds. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure all things for the elect's sake that they may also obtain salvation, which is in Christ Jesus, uh, with eternal glory. It is a faithful saying, for if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. And if we deny him, he will also deny us. If we abide or believe faith, if we believe not, yet he abideth faithful, he cannot deny himself. Of these things, put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord that they strive not about words to no profit, but to the subverting of the hearers. Um, I went past. Yeah, I think it was in verse 13 is where I was looking at. Uh, uh Uh-huh. Oh. It was supposed to be in the second Timothy chapter one. It wouldn't be a, a Sunday if I didn't do it. <laughs> ah, okay. Second Timothy chapter one. You guys were probably there, right? Yeah. Okay. I was reading whatever you were not reading. <laughs> <laughs> it, it is what it is at this point. <laughs> I can't stop it. Uh, so in Second Timothy chapter 1, in verse 8, it says, Be not therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, 
but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who have saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own promises and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, Whereunto I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher to the Gentiles. For this cause, or for the which cause, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Hold fast the form of sound words which thou hast heard from me in faith and love. Uh, which is in Christ Jesus. And so this idea of, of holding fast there uh, is um, um, the idea to have or to hold something, right? And it's simply that. Uh, and how are you going to do it? It's in Christ Jesus. And so in your position in Christ, you're able to sustain this that Christ has already set up in us and through us. Uh, and so you see this here. Now, over in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 3, we see uh, that the Lord is able to protect the believer uh, from evil. And so here in the context is of unreasonable and wicked men. Um, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 3. And pick it up at verse 1, he says, Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you, and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, uh, for all men have not faith. But the Lord is faithful, who shall establish you and keep you from evil. And so here you see uh, Paul and dealing with the people that he's dealt with. And certainly, as you remember the story about how he left Thessalonica, right? And people are literally chasing him out of there, right? And uh, going from every city which he goes to from Thessalonica, chasing them from one city to the next. And he keeps having to run. And finally, he wants to see how these Thessalonian saints are doing. And what does he say here? It's not on your own ability, but it's on the ability of God to deliver you out of the hands of uh, unreasonable and wicked men. Uh, and so what, he, what does he say? The Lord is faithful who will establish you. This idea of establishing, establishing you is causing you to be stabilized, right? The first thing that someone wants to do when someone is doing evil to them is not to become stable, right? This is something that can instabilize you. Uh, and then to, to keep you this word again for our uh, <coughs> word for guarding or protecting, uh, to build a gate around uh, in order to protect. And so that's what we look to the Lord for. Now, the last one uh, with regard to protection is over in Philippians chapter four and verse six. And we see that uh, the Lord provides a position where peace can be obtained, which keeps the believer uh, uh, or guards the believer in that way. So Philippians chapter four. In verse 
Now, uh, remember here, <laughs> many great things are said about the Philippian saints, but one of the issues that they had was this uh, discord that's going on between these two uh, ladies here, Euodius uh, and Syntyche, and he's telling them uh, to come back to the place where uh, you are of like mind uh, or of the same mind in Christ. He's picking up in verse 1. He says, Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved, and long for my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. I beseech Euodius and I beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. And so how are two believers that are on different wavelengths or a disagreement going to be of the same mind? Well, it's only one place that you could be of the same mind, right? We are all different individuals. We have different opinions on how things should be done or how things should uh, operate. The only place we're going to find commonality is in Christ. And so what does he say? I beseech you to uh, just sit there and debate until <laughs> one comes to truth and then you align in your thoughts. No, he says, be of the same mind in the Lord. Uh, that's the only place where we're going to find that commonality. In verse 3 it says, and I entreat thee also, true work yoke fellow, help those women which laboreth with me in the gospel with Clement also and with uh, others of my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men, the Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing. Now here's our word for anxiety, and uh, the pastor hammers away at this idea of psychology, right? But there is, there's some psychology that you can find in scripture, right? Careful has the idea of anxiety. There are anxieties that are going to come to each and every one of us. And how do we handle those? How do we deal with them? He says, be anxious for nothing. Now, people today would tell you that's impossible, right? You can't make yourself not be anxious. And I would say you're right. You can't make yourself not be anxious. But in Christ, you can have a cessation of anxiety. He says, be careful or anxious for nothing, but in everything uh, by prayer, this word for worship, and supplication, after thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God, and the peace from God, which passes all understanding, shall keep. There's that word for guard, right? He puts protection around you, your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And so your heart is the seat of your emotions, or your mind, your will, uh, and your emotion. And your minds are the places where your conclusions are reached. And so the way that these two work together, right, your reason and your emotions, he's able to protect them both. And it's by his perfect peace that he provides by the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, and so how is it done? Through uh, Christ Jesus. And really there, uh, it says through in the English, it's really the preposition in, and this is another positional reference, right? As you are putting your mind where it's supposed to be and thinking on what we have in Christ and how he's able to transform our lives, then you're able to experience the peace that's in him. And so uh, anxiety won't be a victor over you in that regard. 
And so he provides this protection uh, with reference to uh, providing peace. Now, the Lord is a shepherd uh, and bishop of our souls. Remember, we saw that over in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 25. Uh, this shepherding process is all the way through salvation. Go back with me to John chapter 10 and verse 17. John chapter 10 and verse 17. And so remember, uh, I alluded to this one earlier, pick it up in verse 14. He says, I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine. Now, as he's writing here or as uh, he's speaking here, he's talking about Israel, right? (laughs) But he's going to point to something that's coming here in the future. As the father knoweth me, even so know I the father and lay down my life on behalf of the sheep. And so what does a good shepherd do? He's willing to die on behalf of his sheep. Uh, And it's not just these sheep that are before him that he's talking to now. Verse 16, it says, And other sheep I have, which are not out from this fold. That word for fold is a flock, right? These, this flock of sheep that are here sitting before you. Them also I must bring in, and they shall hear my voice. And they shall be one fold and one shepherd, right? Sounds a little bit like what we see in some of Paul's epistles, right? Where he's saying, we have been made into one, right? All of us sheep. Verse 17, therefore doth my father love me because I lay down my life uh, that I might take it again. No man taketh my life or, or taketh it from me, but I lay, that, lay it down myself. Uh, I have the authority to lay it down and I have the authority to take it again. This commandment have I received from the Father. And so you see him acting as the shepherd of the sheep in that way. That he laid down his life on behalf of his sheep, not just the ones that were there then, but us now. And now he's been made shepherd over not just Israel, but over us. And so you see the uh, shepherds elect, uh, the Lord shepherds the elect saints uh, prior to salvation. The Lord made it possible Uh, The spiritual healing of the believer uh, is made by his sacrifice. Uh, Go back with me over to 1 Peter chapter 2, because there's a couple things we want to point out before you get to that verse of him being the uh, shepherd and bishop of our souls. 1 Peter chapter 2. And it talks about how he conducted himself in uh, this process of becoming uh, the shepherd. And pick it up at verse uh, 20. He says, for what glory is it if we uh, or when you were buffeted for your faults, you shall take it patiently. Uh, But if you when we you do well and suffer for it, you take it patiently. This is acceptable with God. For even hereunto were you called, because Christ also suffered on behalf of us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. 
when he suffered, he threatened not, but he committed himself to him that judges righteously, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, uh, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes you are healed. Now, a lot of people say uh, this reference here back to Isaiah chapter 53, by his stripes we are healed. So we have physical healing because Christ suffered on our behalf. That's not what he's saying here. And it shows it here. He's not talking about your physical healing. He's talking about your spiritual healing, right? And so we have salvation because he suffered on our behalf. Verse 25, it says, for you uh, were as sheep gone astray, but now are returned uh, unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. And so uh, we see that uh, relate here. And then the Lord uh, brought the believer back uh, to himself. Uh, again, that idea of us being astray and being brought back. Uh, now, this idea of our souls of being the shepherd of our souls is one I want to focus in with as well. Uh, we only have a few minutes here, so we need to go uh, over in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 39. You see the shepherding of the believers souls uh, or of the souls of the believers allows for this possession that we see of your souls. And so any believer that is uh, out of control emotionally and doesn't have the ability to direct their emotions in the right way. And this can be any of us at any time. It's because of us not accessing what we have in Christ, right? It has nothing to do with the inability that Christ has given you to overcome uh, in, in these bodies. Uh, and we see this here. Uh, pick it up in, in verse 33. Now, what he's going to do here is he's explaining to these Hebrew saints, uh, this is how you were overcoming before, Right. You were living victoriously before over your spiritual enemies, and now you're in a position where you're not, right? And we can clearly see that is throughout the book, or throughout the, the whole book. Go back one more verse into verse 32. He says, but call to remem remembrance the former days in which after you were illuminated, you endured a great fight of afflictions. Now, there's a difference between being saved and being illuminated, right? Where you're starting to see things clearly how you should as a believer. They got to a place where they were matured spiritually to a level where they were seeing the Christian life like they were supposed to, right? And so how can you see the proof of this? They lost their things, their physical things, and they didn't lose their minds, right? <laughs> If a lot of us, if we lost, God couldn't trust us with losing things because if we did, it might send us into a tailspin, right? Imagine being like some of these believers around the state that have lost their homes, right? That have lost everything that they have on this earth. Are you going to be able to still conduct yourself just like you are today when you have everything going well? Well, everybody can't say that, Right. And honestly, if I'm being honest, I can't say it, right? I don't know how I would react right now. Hopefully I would react and say, you know, the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. It is what it is. But everybody can't be trusted to act and say, access the, the provisions that you have by grace and say, it's okay. <laughs> These things are gone, but God is going to provide for me to do what I need to do in this life. These believers were doing it at a point in time. And now they're they're failing. He says, partly in verse three, while you were made a gazing stock 
This is, nobody uses the word gazing stock, right? You were being exposed before the world. Everybody could see it. You were on display for everyone to see, both by reproaches and afflictions, and partly whilst you, were, you became companions of them that were so used. For you had compassion of me and my bonds and took joyfully the spoiling of your goods. Now, what kind of maniacal person is going to be able to have joy in the midst of losing everything? Well, the believers just might be ones that could be that maniacal. Knowing in yourselves that you have in heaven a better and enduring substance. You see that perspective, right? You see how you're not letting this life that's running on this plane be the end all to everything. There's a higher life, an eternal life that's running concurrent with this one that is way more important. Right. And we don't always see that. In verse 35, he says, casting not away, therefore, your confidence, uh, which hath great recompense of reward. For you have need of patience that after you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. So here's here it's turning, right? It's turning. They're not at, at the current place that they are where they were before, where they were overcoming. For yet a little while, and he shall he that shall come will come <coughs> and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. But if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not out from them who draw back unto perdition. And so this idea of turning back uh, unto destruction. But out from them that believe to the saving of the soul. Now this word for saving is a bad translation, right? I don't often try to beat up on the, the King James Version, but I will here because has nothing to do with the saving of the soul. It's our word peripoesin, which has the idea of a possession. That word for poison uh, has the idea of, uh, of to do or, or to make. And then with this peri preposition on the front of it, meaning around, it gives you the idea of a possession, to take possession of something, right? We have the ability in Christ to take complete possession of our souls. And what does that mean? That means that our souls aren't dictating our actions. Our emotions aren't dictating how we see every situation. Correct. (laughs) It's our spirit, our rational part of our minds is able to say, hey, this happened to you here, but God is still in control of all things. So if you could really look at a situation, let's say You lost everything that you had in this life. But you were able to look at everything that's going to happen in your life in in perspective. And and you know that, okay, you lost everything over here, but God provides you with all of this over here, like Job Job, in the story of Job. You think if Job were able to see, oh, I'm going to lose everything over here, and then God is going to provide everything back, that he would have had good perspective on it when he lost those things? And he wouldn't have been over here down in the dumps crying and and moaning. And we give Job a hard time. But anybody would have been in a a tough place having lost everything like that. Right. But he would have saw it a little bit differently. Right. He would have known this is a hard time now. But God is going to give me everything back plus more in the future. 
So he would have saw it a little bit differently. He would have had what you call perspective, right? But when we're going through things, we lack perspective because we try to see it through our own eyes. We don't let God work the situation through us and say, you know what? Not going well, <laughs> not going like I wanted to, but I know God's going to work this together for my good, right? If we're accessing who we are in Christ, we have that possession of our souls, which governs our souls, where it's not saying, oh my God, I've lost everything. It's, this, is, this is terrible. I'll never be able to make it, right? It'll never be right again. We see things in the right perspective. And so uh, Christ being the shepherd of our souls has, by the work that he's already accomplished, giving us, given us the ability to possess our souls so that we're not uh, ones that are freaking out when things happen uh, in that way. And the last thing we want to look at is the Lord as the chief shepherd. Go with me over to 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 4. Now, if you are a chief of something, that means that there has to be ones that are under you, right? What's the saying? Too many chiefs, not enough Indians, right? <laughs> it might not be politically correct to use anymore, but uh, this idea here is that there are ones under him, right? He's the chief shepherd, and he utilizes, and we've seen this already, but we'll see it more. He utilizes ones that are under him to shepherd uh, as well. Pick it up in verse 1. He says, The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder, and am a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that should be revealed. Uh, Feed the flock of God which is among you. So here he's giving the instruction to these who are elders, and these elders just means mature ones, but in the position that they're operating, these were uh, ones that had the gift of pastor teacher. And so what is their responsibility? To feed the flock. What did we say last month happens with these pastor teachers? A lot of them become pastor dictators, right? Where they say, you do this, you do that. I'm giving the instruction. I'm the one that's in charge. Not so. You're a sheep that happens to be a shepherd. You have been given the responsibility of leading to feed, right? These other sheep over here need someone to lead them to the food. And just so happens the Lord is using this individual to lead them to the spiritual food. Feed the flock of God, which is among you, taking the oversight. There's our word for bishop. Therefore, or there, excuse me, oversight thereof, not by constraint, and so he's saying, it is not for you to grab and wrangle the sheep and say, eat, <laughs> eat the food, right? You're just putting the food out there and saying, here it is, come and eat, right? And that's as far as your responsibility goes. But willingly, not for a filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. Uh, lots of pastors in this day and time need to read this verse, right? Because they're all in it for the money. And they're all in it to tell people what they need to do and what they don't need to do. This is not what this is saying. In verse 3, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock. 
And so what is a pastor teacher? He's one that leads to feed. He's one that sets the example and says, walk this way. Right. Some of the best leaders are not ones that grab people and say, get over here. (laughs) They're ones that consistently and over and over again show the example so that person can see this is how you're supposed to do it. Right. Verse four, and he says, and when the chief shepherd, here's the one with the real authority, the chief shepherd shall appear. You shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. And so what is the responsibility here? You're performing in this way as a a pastor teacher. You're leading the flock to food. You're showing them an example and when the chief shepherd comes back, reminds me of, uh, again, when we were at home, when I was younger, we used to do some crazy stuff, right? We'd be left in charge. Whoever was oldest was the one that was left in charge. Jeff was probably the most uh, moderate of the, <laughs> of the two. Josh was never in charge because he was the youngest. Uh, but when I got my chance, I was a dictator, right? <laughs> Say, this is how it's going to go, right? <laughs> And I would impose my will, right? (laughs) You're going to do this because I said so. And if you're not going to do it, there are going to be some consequences and repercussions (laughs) here. Uh, And he would never listen. (laughs) It was always a lot of butting of the heads, right? Because forcefully, you can't get people to do stuff, right? People want to rebel by nature, most people, against force, right? But when you are one that is willing to over and over again show the example, to show somebody why they need to do what, they, what you're asking them to do, it's a little bit different. And so here you see uh, this, this chief shepherd, or the uh, shepherds under the chief shepherd are supposed to act in this way. So he is able to place and lead shepherds uh, he placed over his flock, and he is the chief over the appointed shepherds that we see now. Uh, if you went over to Ephesians chapter 4 and 11, we won't go there, but it just shows the uh, gift of pastor teacher uh, being given. And we see that Peter encourages the elders uh, to shepherd the flock in verse 2. We saw that. Uh, we see that Peter uh, was encouraged by the Lord to feed and shepherd his sheep. Go with me back and we'll, we'll uh, close out with a couple of these last ones here. But John chapter 21 and verse 15. Now, this is an interesting interplay here because it sounds like the Lord is stuck, right? (laughs) He keeps saying the same thing over again. Peter has got to be wondering in his mind, why do you keep saying that over and over again? Well, sometimes the questions you can ask yourself are are good questions to find an answer to. And in this uh, context, the Lord is prepping Peter for what he's going to face in the future. He says in verse 15, so when they had dined, Jesus said uh, to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He saith it unto him, yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He said unto him, feed my lambs or shepherd my lambs. Now, uh, what you see here in the, the first use of this word for love, and you have to follow it in your interlinear, the first time he says, do you agape me? And Peter says, yeah, I am fond of you. 
Now, I think, and it's just my opinion, and, and why Peter kept saying what he was saying is because that emotional feeling of love he thought to be higher than the one the Lord is saying of self-sacrifice. And it's not understanding that it's become more important for you to sacrifice on behalf of others than to just have feelings <laughs> for individuals. This is more important. In verse 16, he says, uh, he saith unto him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He said unto him, yea, Lord, you know I am fond of thee. He saith unto him, feed my sheep or shepherd my sheep. And so again, he asked him, do you agape me? He says, yes, I'm fond of you. I am uh, emotionally uh, invested in this. In verse 17, he saith unto him a third time, Simon, son of Jonas, do you, are you fond of me? Peter was grieved because he saith unto him the third time, are you fond of me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest I love thee or I am fond of thee. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, when thou wast young, thou girdest thyself and walkest whither thou wouldest. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands and another shall gird thee and carry uh, thee whither thou wouldest not. And so uh, we know Peter's response here. He says, hey, what about this guy over here? <laughs> he said, none of your business. Um, but this, this idea here of what he's asking him to do in the future and what he's asking him to do to come in light of his departure, he's asking him to shepherd or feed his sheep. And the chief shepherd can ask that of those under him. Now we see over in uh, Acts chapter 20 and verse 28, Paul encourages the bishops of Ephesus to shepherd the flock. Acts chapter 20 and verse 28. Acts chapter 20. Now, Paul has been a, a good example in his instruction, maybe not in his action as he's on his way to Jerusalem, uh, which he shouldn't have been doing. Uh, but pick it up in verse 19, he says, uh, well, verse 18, he says, And when they were come to, uh, to him, he said unto them, You know from the first day that I came to Asia, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons, serving the Lord with all humility of mind, and with many tears and temptations which befell me by the lying and weight of the Jews, and how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I go bound in the Spirit... No, he wasn't. Uh, unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, saving the Holy Spirit witnesses in every city, saying, Bonds and afflictions abide me. But none of these things move me, neither count I my life as dear unto myself, so that I may finish my course with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify of the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that you all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God shall see my face no more. Wherefore, I take 
you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare unto you the counsel unto you all the counsel of God. Uh, and so, what does he say in verse twenty-eight? Take heed, therefore, unto yourself. And this word for take heed is our word for uh, look, spot it out, scope it out, pay attention. And to all the flock over which the Holy Spirit hath made you overseers. Okay, and so you're over the flock, your bishops, ones that have been placed in this position, uh, to feed, here's the, the idea of shepherding, the church of God, which he has purchased with his own blood. And so what is he calling upon these overseers to do? to feed the church of God, uh, to provide them the spiritual food that they need for nourishment. Uh, The last two that we could go to, and we'll uh, not go there, but uh, we see in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, uh, the allowance of one shepherding uh, to partake. And so if you're shepherding, you should be able to partake of of the food or of the uh, uh, money, as it were, in that context. And then the content of spiritual food, uh, again, back over in uh, Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 12, and we won't go there. Uh, but again, this idea of the shepherd, <clears throat> the Lord as the shepherd, he protects us. He allows us to be able to eat and have spiritual nourishment, to drink, to have everything that we need to accomplish what he desires for us in this spiritual life, Right? And this is all happening on a spiritual plane as it's being played out in physical life. And I would, I would advise you guys to always be thinking in two ways, right? Physical, what's going on in physical life, and what's going on in spiritual life up above it. And this is where we have to get our minds, right? We're physically living on this earth. Spiritually, our minds need to be connected to what we have in Christ, And as we're there, as we're connected, the chief shepherd is able to provide protection, right? He's placed under him uh, shepherds, as it were, that are still sheep, that are responsible for leading you to the food. And so hopefully as we're teaching up here, we're able to provide you the food spiritually that you need to eat. And hopefully you guys eat, right? Don't, don't starve yourselves. You need to eat this spiritual food or it's not going to be good for you. All right. Well, with that, we'll bow in a word of prayer and we'll close out. Father, we're grateful for this day and uh, grateful that you have provided us uh, such a good shepherd, a great shepherd, a, a chief shepherd, one that is able to watch over our souls and to provide us uh, the things that we need to uh, stay away from uh, wandering. Uh, it, it is our desire if we're living in the flesh to wander but it's our desire if we're living in the spirit to be nourished by uh, the word of God and so we pray that we would be ones that are uh, tuned in to who we are in the spirit that we might uh, find that spiritual nourishment and be able to grow by it that we might be ones that are glorifying and well-pleasing to you all these things we pray in the name of your son Jesus Christ amen